This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, I'm Chuang, joined by Sherwin Abdullah. And we've had fin- um, Finance Minister Lim Guaneng optimistic, uh, saying that he's quite optimistic that a deal can be finalised with China to revive the East Coast Rail Link by, by April. Now, that's just a couple of months away, Sherwin. He said that talks are ongoing with China to reduce the cost of the project and that a final decision can be made when Prime Minister Tun Madia visits, visits China in April. He was quoted as saying that we're hopeful the matter can be revived and that China will meet our request for a price reduction. Yeah, so according to a Bloomberg report China is willing to reduce the $20 billion or $81 billion ringgit price tag for the project with discussion between the two nations on the project set to be in the last mile. The ECRL was a planned railway link infrastructure project connecting Port Klang to Pengkalan Kubo in Kelantan and Pahang and Trungganu. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's uh, Tun Daim who will be leading the negotiation on this matter. Of course, uh, relations between Malaysia and China took a dive when Pakistan came into power, and so we got in touch with the former diplomat and commentator on the Malaysia-China relations, a gentleman named Dato Dennis Ignatius, and asked him for his comment. Dato Dennis Ignatius and asked him for his comments on how negotiations can pan out. There has been quite a dramatic shift in relations with China since the new government came to power. As you know, there was a strong perception that many of the Belt and Road projects that uh, the Najib administration had signed with China did not really serve our interests. There were also clear signs of corruption and fraud involved. And in addition, there were some genuine concerns that these projects would end up endangering our sovereignty and independence. The example of Sri Lanka uh, cannot, I think, be taken lightly. So the new government, in my view, was right to be concerned, right to want to review these projects. The ECRL was, of course, the most problematic of all the projects, both in terms of cost and viability. Cancelling it, however, is proving difficult because I think they have given many signals that there will be some adverse reaction if the project doesn't go forward. From what I understand, negotiations are ongoing, but they are tense. Even at the original cost of 28 billion ringgit, the project was deemed unfeasible. So I wonder how low the Chinese will go to keep the project from being cancelled. And I wonder how high a price Malaysia will be willing to pay to avoid a break with China. Malaysia is a top and inv- top trading and investment partner of China's. But in this current situation, is one country in greater need of the other? Dennis doesn't think so. My view is that both Malaysia and China need each other. Malaysia's economy is increasingly dependent on China and we know that China is not averse to using trade, tourism and investments as leverage uh, to to put pressure uh, on other governments. On the other hand, Malaysia is important to China's uh, Belt and Road strategy. Cancellation of ECRL will certainly affect China's reputation and standing in other parts of the world at a time when China is already facing difficulties of its own with the US and Europe over trade issues. Both sides will now have to find a new balance, a new comfort level. It will take time, of course, but I believe that there are enough common interests to carry the relationship forward to better days. No one on either side believes that there is anything to be gained from a confrontational approach. 
Initial skepticism about these Chinese-based pro- projects in terms of for Malaysia falling to, into a debt trap is largely warranted. And Dennis himself mentioned that the Sri Lanka example saw that country being forced to settle for debt for equity arrangements with Beijing. So with that in mind, we asked Dato Dennis what sort of terms he thinks Malaysia should be seeking in these talks. I'm, of course, not privy to the discussions, but if you hear what economists are saying, Malaysia would want to see the scope of the project greatly reduced to reduce costs. Uh, It would want to see greater local participation and, of course, better financing terms. At the end of the day, if the government decides to go ahead with the project, I hope that the government will put before the Malaysian people the terms of the agreement and explain why it decided to go ahead with it despite insisting that it should be cancelled. The government must justify its decision if it decides to go forward with the project. It must show how it benefits the nation. Personally, for the sake of transparency and accountability, I feel that both the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Economy should be more closely involved with the negotiations instead of just leaving it to third parties. That was Dr. Dennis Ignatius, the former diplomat and commentator on Malaysia-China relations. Now, um, very interesting comments. I think what stood out for me was the fact that China uh, does need ASEAN and specifically Malaysia more than ever because of this uh, ongoing spat it's having with America. And you know, China, I think as accurately pointed out by the former diplomat, is not averse, is not afraid of um, making headway within uh, another country's economy by using trade and, and trade in its, its balance sheet, right? It's been doing business all over the world and offering infrastructure projects in in return for all kinds of headway in terms of their countries. Yeah, and I think what I took from this is that we, you know, it's not just uh, about reducing the debt or it's not just about... Um, you know the contract that we have between China and Malaysia. It's also the diplomatic relation, isn't it? It be- goes beyond uh, the ECRL. Uh, it goes beyond the cost. Uh, I mean, a lot of our trades are, you know, a lot of uh, you know a lot of our affairs do involve China overall. And I think yesterday uh, we spoke to, when we spoke to uh, Tony Poir uh, on the Breakfast Grill. I think there was a few um, you know, there was a few mention as to what are in the, you know what are some of the things that Malaysia is considering. For example, I mean, we could raise, I mean, if it, if the issue is about debt, we can actually raise that, that money ourselves. But it's beyond that. It goes beyond that. I mean, there's the, of course, there's the contract and also the, uh, you know, the uh, relationship between China and um, Malaysia and what we could get, what we can probably gain from that. Yeah, I mean, there's some empirical evidence with Sri Lanka in the past. A couple of years ago, they handed over their port of Hanbandota to China on a 99-year lease. That was criticised heavily in that country for handing over the country's sovereignty. And then I think at one point in time, Sri Lanka owed more than $8 billion to state-controlled Chinese firms. Um, some of the deals that we've struck with Chinese firms are, I mean, scary to say the least. Um, the ECRL, the high-speed rail, um, we've got projects all over the country with the Chinese. And some of the project values have been inflated to such an extent that um, when the new government came in, I think they were quite flabbergasted and quite uh, astounded by the numbers that were preferred. And um, it's no secret that I think the Chinese, uh, some of the top Chinese Chinese officials were complicit in some ways, in more, more ways than one. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see how the new wave of Chinese projects are, 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 are costed, pro- value that, and even this latest panda bond with Malaysia, but how it's an, an olive branch of sorts to help us raise capital, 3.75% or something per year for the next 10 years or something. It's just going to see the conditions located therein. Yeah, and also uh, Stabis uh, ditched 
did share something with regards to you know what we could what we could gain from this construction of ECRL. Now, uh, ECRL project may benefit local construction players. As, as, from a spillover effect on building material companies in Malaysia, and the government has reported that there is a preference and greater participation for local construction companies under the New Deal. Okay. Well, more evidence, more evidence of profligacy and more evidence of corruption, this, this time from The Edge, uh, reporting that the Ministry of Defence has apparently lost over a quarter of a billion ringgit by selling land on the cheap to interested parties in return for political favours. Now, this particular story focused on the Royal Malaysian Air Force base in Kinrara, Puchong. Land was sold at a 34% discount to a vehicle owned by the tycoon Tanshri Said Mokhtar al-Bukhari. It was swapped for half a billion ringgit, even though it was valued at nearly 800 million ringgit. And in return, an unnamed private party agreed to build a new base in Palo, Johor, and a new Air Force headquarters, and a new training centre in Sandai and Nemigisi, Milan. This land in Palo was reportedly overvalued, this acquired at a 43% premium. So you can imagine, right? The Ministry of Defence sells land it owns at a discount and then later buys land at a premium to connected parties for political favours. And I think uh, at some point in time, uh, the constituencies for both present and uh, for both defence ministers at that time were both allegedly uh, Dato Hishamuddin and uh, Dato Said Zahid Hamidi, who have, I think, since come out to deny the accusations. Yeah, so it's also about the justification of uh, going through this deal. Because, um, for example, the I mean, Defence Minister Mohamed Sabu, uh, Special Officer Mohamed Nasisi Ismail, he pointed out that uh, this land swap were not under the 11th Malaysian plan. Uh, this deal is said to be politically motivated uh, and it's meant to benefit, yeah, as you mentioned... At the moment, it was the former defence minister, Datuk Sri Hishamuddin Hussein, and also Datuk Sri Hazayat Hamidi. Yeah, so um, evidence points out that there are no formal contracts, no signed contracts between the government and private parties. And what is worse, I think, is the election commission was allegedly involved, complicit in the transactions, because they redrew boundaries to put more armed force officers in the constituencies that were affected beneficially by this uh, land deal. So um, makes me uh, makes us remember very clearly the other questionable land deal that emerged in January when um, uh, we saw a special purpose vehicle of the finance ministry buying land from the Malaysian rubber board for 1.5 billion ringgit below market value, thereby at that time uh, also, you know, um, shafting uh, various stakeholders, including Malaysian people ourselves. Yeah, so again, Teresa Kok, uh, she pointed out that the MRB was shortchanged uh, of a difference of about 780 million. The MRB chairman, Sankaranaya, said that the transaction raised the question, why was the land even sold to ATNB in the first place? Uh, just to bring back again on the MINDEF, um, Hishamuddin did, make a statement. So he did respond saying that uh, he has nothing to hide and that he welcomes any investigation on all defence ministers since 1997. So it's not just him, it's to go away all the way back Great. to 1997. Well, fantastic. Let the rule of law take its place. Um, it is now 7.28 in the morning. We're going to be coming back with some more international stories and local stories. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.